Well, good morning. Yeah, isn't that cool? My name is Jeannie Stevens. I'm one of the lead pastors here, and it's so inspiring and encouraging to hear stories of people that are listening to God and, and listening to how he is leading and guiding them to be a part of what God is calling us into as a church. As Jarrett mentioned, last week, Soul City Church experienced a significant moment in our history. We kind of opened an important door and we kind of looked into the future of where we are going as a church, into a, into a dream that really has been brewing for some time. And we talked about how God has done so many amazing things over the last five years, how he's grown us, how he's changed us, how he's used us to be a part of impacting this community. But we talked about how he's not called us to stay here, that he has called us into a great faith-raising experience, into a great faith-raising adventure with him. And, and so all of us, we kind of stepped into this 21-day journey where we are asking and we are believing and we are committing we're asking God, you know, what, what does it look for me? What does it look like for me, God, to give to you? And every single one of us is going before God and just simply doing that. We're, we're saying, God, I'm going to ask you to speak to me, to direct me, to guide me, to, to, to help me take a step. And then after we ask, we're going to believe. We're going to believe that God actually does speak to us that he guides us, that he directs us, and, and that he is going to provide the ways for us to be a part of this great faith-raising adventure, to provide the resources for the $7 million to build this building that God is calling us to build on the land just directly east of this space. And I hope over the last week you've had a chance to go to IamForTheLove.com or maybe you've been able to, to go out and to see all of the, the images and the renderings of what it is that God is calling us into. And it's an amazing, beautiful picture of a transformational ministry center that is going to be a gift to this city. A space designed so that it's open to the community, a space that's warm and intimate, but can accommodate hundreds and thousands of more people on the weekends and all throughout the week. A space that says everyone is accepted here, but every one of us is expected to grow. And, and as we ask and as we believe, the next thing that we're going to do is then we are simply going to commit to doing it. We're going we're gonna to commit to whatever God leads us to do, to make a two-year commitment, a two-year financial commitment towards this project. So it's as simple as ABC. <laughs> Ask, believe, commit. And I've loved this past week connecting with so many of you, listening to how God is, is leading you and how God is directing you. And as I've been in conversation with so many different people, I've kind of started picturing and imagining, like, what is Soul City Church going to look like, like, post for the love? Like, what kind of community are we going to be, like, AD, like, after going through this faith raising experience. And you know, everywhere you look around this church right now, it's kind of like plastered for the love, right? You go up to get coffee and it's on your coffee cup. People are handing you bracelets, right? It's all over the walls. It's all over the windows. We got t-shirts printed with for the love, right? And you know, it's kind of everywhere you look, it's like, okay, I get it. I get it. We are about being for the love. But I had one of those moments this week where I felt like God very specifically pressed into me 
and asked me if I was really for the love. If I was a woman that was gonna actually really stand for his love in this world. On Monday, I, um, I actually jumped on a plane. I had to be out of town uh, Monday and Tuesday, and I came back late Tuesday night and went into my day on Wednesday. And I don't know if you've ever gone into a day where you're like, I'm already behind. Like, it's 8 a.m. and I'm behind, right? And I kind of went into my day with a full agenda. I had a list. I had a, you know, a bunch of boxes that I circled because I find great delight in checking boxes. Maybe you're like me. And I kind of went into my day on Wednesday just laser beam focused on what I needed to be about that day. And I opened up my laptop and I looked into my email and I had been copied in on an email from a couple in our church that was facing some very significant challenges. And within a few hours into my day, that couple was sitting on the couch up in my office they're amazing, amazing young couple. They've been married for a little over five years. And they began to share with a few of us that over these last years, they've walked through the battle of infertility. They've walked through the battle of failed IVF treatments. And then a dear friend had actually offered to be a surrogate to them. And so they were so excited because they finally had a miracle on the way. And this friend was pregnant with, with a 20-week-old baby, their baby, their miracle baby, their dream of being parents. And as we sat on my couch, they began to share that through some ultrasounds and through some different appointments with specialists that week, they began to recognize and to realize that this 20-week-old miracle was actually not going to make it. And as they sat in my office, they were crushed. And their hearts were broken and just kind of splattered out on the ground. And they were literally wading in a pool of devastation, as I'm sure you can imagine. And as we sat together in silence for quite some time and then through tears, we read scripture, we prayed. And as we sat in the middle of the most significant loss that they have ever experienced, they asked me a powerful question that cut right into my heart. And they said, how do we let the church help us right now? How do we let the church actually help us right now in our greatest moment of pain and in our greatest moment of need? How can the church actually be the church for us? And I believe their question is actually a question that many of us have asked. It's a question that many of us have asked. We've wanted to know, will, 
will the church actually be for me when I need it to be for me? When I'm hurting and when I'm broken. When life sends me down a path that I never thought I would be on, will there be a church that's for me? Maybe it's a question that you've asked. I know I have asked it. I have asked it in my own life. And maybe you haven't asked it out loud for someone to actually hear. But don't we all share this deep desire to be enfolded into a community of people that actually says, I'm for you? I'm for you. I'm actually for you. See, I actually believe that one of the deepest desires in the heart of every single man and woman is to be a part of a community where we can be pressed into a group of people that actually says, I am for you no matter what. I am for you. I am for you in your life and I will stand with you and I will be for you. And I, I began to wonder, can we be that kind of church? Can this church, can this community of people be those kinds of people that actually say, no, I am going to be willing to be for the love of God in this world. I am going to be willing to stand with a couple. I'm going to be willing to pray with a couple. I'm going to be willing to come alongside of a couple and wrap my arms around them and say, I am for you. I am for you. And it, and it caused me to actually think about the fact that we're not the first group of people to do something like this. You know, there have been churches for thousands of years that have actually run out of room. We're not the first church on the block that's run out of room. There have been thousands of people that have stood in this same gap and said, Okay, am I going to be a person that's willing to be for the love and I'm going to make sure that there's more room so that no one ever has to be turned away from experiencing the love of God? And while Soul City Church is only five years into our story, we're a part of a much larger narrative. We're not the first group of people to actually step out in radical faith to choose to build a community that says we are for the love of God. You see, we are connected, we, we are wired into the story, into a movement of God known as the church that began 2,000 years ago. And when that movement began, it was a movement centered around the love of God. It was centered around the love of God. And, and I don't know how much you know the story, but essentially, after Jesus was crucified, after he died and was buried and then raised himself from the dead three days later, the thing that we celebrate at Easter, after that happened, it says that 40 days later that, that Jesus actually left the earth and he went to be with God and he left all of his followers in charge. And you can just kind of imagine, you know, all of these guys and, and ladies that had kind of followed Jesus around for the last three years, here they are, and they're left in charge, and they're like, okay, anybody start a church before? Has, that, has anybody here, anybody, anybody start a church before? Because, you know, I, I, Jesus did not leave Emmanuel behind. He did not tell us what to do. He didn't tell us exactly how this thing was supposed to go. And you can kind of imagine them like, you know, in their upper room and they, they get their scroll out, which is their version of a whiteboard, right? You know, and they're, they're kind of having a creative meeting and you just kind of can imagine somebody's like, oh, I got a great idea. Okay, I got a great idea for how to do this whole church thing. Remember that time when Jesus turned water into wine? 
That was awesome. Every city we go to, we've got to do that. Guys, if we do that, we're going to get hundreds of thousands of likes on Facebook, right? I mean, the people are going to love it. We got to do that. That's got to be a part of our mission, right? I mean, they're just thinking, how do you start a church? None of us has ever, has ever done this. And so they just decided to start talking about Jesus. Everywhere they went, they just started telling stories about Jesus. And they started loving people the same way that Jesus loved people. In fact, in the book of Acts, which really is the history of the start of the church, it says that when they just started talking about Jesus and sharing the love of Jesus, that literally thousands of people started following along in this movement. In Acts 2, 43, it says this, that, that everyone around them was actually in awe. All of the wonders and the signs that were done through them, and, and the believers, they lived in this wonderful harmony, holding everything together in common. They sold whatever they owned, and they pooled their resources so that each person's need was met among them. They followed this daily discipline of worship in the temple, and they, that followed by meals at one another's homes. Every meal was like a celebration. It was exuberant and joyful. And as they praised God, people in general, they just liked what they saw. And every day their number grew as God added those who were saved. It almost sounds like the first church is kind of this like Woodstock love festival, right? Like you kind of picture it was like this Woodstock love festival, like minus some certain substances, right? <laughs> like they just had this undying love for one another. And this revolution known as the church started out of a revolution all based in love. The church was known for what they were for. They were running on a positive ticket agenda, right? The church was actually known for living in unity with one another. They were known for meeting one another's needs. They were known for worshiping together, for having meals together. They were known for, for joy and celebration. I gotta believe they were known for extravagant dance parties, right? I mean, this was a group of people that said, we want to be known for the love of Jesus because the love of Jesus has changed our lives. But you can kind of look just a little bit further into the New Testament after this revolution began. And what happens is that the love that they stood for began to fade. The love that the church had once stood for, it began to fade. You see, division and differences started to enter into the church. Different leadership styles and, and preferences, it caused clusters of people to kind of break off and to form their own factions. Unhealthy expectations began to turn into resentments and, and the church and the government, they began to, to have all of this strain start to come up and attention began to mount. And in many ways, this has been the ebb and the flow of the church for the past 2,000 years. This movement that began as a movement of love, it actually has been, had many ups and downs over the last 2,000 years. In fact, the church has had some very dark hours, 
hasn't it, in the last 2,000 years? When people think about the church, they often don't think about it being a movement that is based around the love of God, do they? And there have been moments throughout the last 2,000 years where the heartbeat of the church became very, very faint, but for some reason, it's kept beating. The heart of the church is still beating. You think about this for a moment. Over the past 2,000 years, not much else has prevailed for 2,000 years. Governments have crumbled, haven't they? Governments have, have crumbled, economies have tanked, industries have formed and flourished and then died, but somehow there is still a church. You are the result of it. You are sitting here today in a church, and the church is still the place that I believe people feel compelled to go when the waves of life come crashing onto the shore. When the, when the swell of pain seems so overwhelming, when life is up in the air and pain seems to be hovering like a dark cloud over a person's soul, they want to know, is there a God that is for me and is there a community that is for me? I mean, is there, is there a God that is actually for me and will there be a community of people that will actually stand with me and say, I am for you. I am for you. And John was one of these disciples that was actually a part of that very first group. He was a part of that first church. He was probably in on the creative brainstorming of what it was that they were going to do. And, and John was a part of leading this first church. And, and over time, he actually started writing letters to the church that had spread out all throughout the, the, the region. And, and he writes this letter in the book of 1 John. And he says this because I, I, I want to talk about this because I think it speaks to this core desire that lives inside of each of us. And, and John says these words. He says, Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. I love that John says, since God so loved us. He could have just said, since God loved us, but he, he decided to insert that word, that tiny little word, so, into the sentence. And, and the word so is like, if I, if I would have written, it would have been bolded, it would have been underlined, it would have been all caps, because it's, it's clarifying that God did not love us in some kind of casual love. He didn't love us in some kind of conditional love. He so loved us. He so loved us. His love is a transforming love because the very next phrase, what it does is it indicates action from us. God so loved us, so we also ought to love one another. We ought to love one another. The word ought is actually translated as a responsibility. It's not a suggestion. It's not a, you know, if you get around to it and you find some time open in your schedule, it's good if you can kind of love some people, you know, smile at them, maybe, you know, not flip them off in traffic or something, you know. This isn't, this isn't like, a, you know, if you think about it, 
This is a task. This is a calling. This is a responsibility of the church that we are called to love. And we live in a world that is looking for God, don't we? We live in a world that is looking for God, looking for God to make sense of the pain, the hurt, the loss, the violence. I know I am. I am looking for God. And so I have to believe, I have to believe that others are saying, is there a God that actually loves me? And is there a community of people that will actually show me what that love looks like? So what that means is that the people that make up the church, the people that make up the church, we have the beautiful responsibility to extend the love of God. You know, I'll never forget um, a number of years ago when the musical Les Mis came out. I'm not sure how many of you have seen it. I got to go see it on Broadway, and I loved it. And then a few years back, they actually uh, turned it into a movie. And, and I went to go see it, uh, I remember, over, over Christmas break. And there's, there's a moment in the movie, towards the, towards the end of the movie, where the main character, Jean Valjean, he sings this line, and it's towards the end of his life, and he sings these words, to love another person is to see the face of God. To love another person is to see the face of God. And I sat in the theater, and I wept, not just because I have very strong feelings about Hugh Jackman, who played the lead character. <laughs> I have very strong feelings about him, especially when he sings. <laughs> but I wept because I thought, that's it. That's it. That to love another person and to be loved by another person is how we see God. It's how we see God in our world. And that's why the church has never been a what. It has never been about brick and mortar and steel. It is about people. It is about people that say, I'm going to love somebody and I'm going to receive that love back. You see, you can't look at a brick wall or a steel beam and say, I experienced the love of God. It's when you look into the eyes of another person. When somebody embraces you, when somebody says, I will stand with you in the midst of this loss. I will stand with you in the questions. I will hold you in the midst of your pain. That's when the church is at its best. You see, the church is not a what, it's a who. The church is not a what. You didn't come up this morning and get in your car and, and drive over here to the West Loop to attend church. You know why? Because you already are the church. You already are the church. The church is a who. And my simple question to you today is, will that who be you? Will that who be you? Now, I know it sounds a lot like Dr. Seuss, okay? <laughs> But will that who be you? Will that who really be you? Will you really be the kind of person that says, no matter what, I'm going to extend the love of God into this world? 
Will you align your life? Will you align your purposes? Will you align your resources to be that who in the world? Because God is for us being for others. God is for us being for others. And the revolution that began 2,000 years ago called the church is a revolution that is rooted and established in love, a love that has always and will always be for others. It's an extravagant love, a sacrificial love, a generous love. And when I think about the church that we are today and the church that I believe that God is calling us to be, there is nothing inside of me that believes that God is calling us to be an average church. Nothing. Now, see, I have never been attracted to average. I I know that comes as a great surprise. Um, I'm attracted to the drama. Um, That's why Jarrett says I'm attracted to him. He's not average. Um, So much more than average. But I don't wanna be an average church. I don't want us to be lukewarm. I don't want us to be one more church in the world that says certain people can come in and certain people can't. I don't want us to be known for what we're against. I want us to be known for what we are for in the world. And that requires, thank you. (laughs) And that requires every one of us, 100% of us being willing to say, I don't just want to be for the love, I'm willing to be for the love. I'm willing to be for the love. I'm willing to take whatever the next step is that God is putting in front of me so that I can be a person in this world that is for his love. And this movement that we are a part of called the church, I believe that it actually started out of a movement that was rooted in the love of God. But unfortunately, it's lost a bit of its brilliance, hasn't it? It's lost a bit of its light. It's lost a bit of its love. Because unfortunately, the world identifies the church with what it is against. And more importantly, who it is against. But we have a God. We have a God that clearly says in his word, what then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If we have a God that is for us, how can we be a people that stand in this world and say, here's who I'm against? If the God of the universe says, I am for you, I am for you, I have gone all in for you, how can we dare stand in the world and say, but this is what I'm against. This is who I'm against. You can come in, you can't come in. And I have to wonder, what if this little movement of Jesus followers here in the middle of Chicago, if we were to be a part of turning the story of the church You know, you are already people of great perseverance. You endure winter every single year. What if a church, what if a church said no? We're gonna put the stake in the ground and we are gonna be known as a group of people that are for the love of God in the world. No matter what. I wonder what could happen. I wonder what could happen. You know, history shows that the people that stand up to change the world, 
they're crazy. People that stand up to change the world, they're crazy. That is until they actually change the world. And friends, I want to be counted among the crazy in the world. When I take my last breath and my time here on earth is done, I want them to put on my tombstone, she was straight up crazy. <laughs> she actually believed that the love of God was going to change this world, and she did everything she could to see it happen. That's what I want to stand for in this world. That's what I want to be a part of in this world. And if it takes a village to raise a child, it is certainly going to take a village to build a church. Every single person in the village is needed. And you know, we all enter the story in different places, but every one of us, I believe every one of us, can take a step of willingness in this faith-raising adventure that we are on. You know, there's not a formula or some kind of like target that we've kind of planned out that every single one of you has to hit. Because the truest measure of a faith-raising experience is sacrifice. It's sacrifice. And it's not even the size of the sacrifice. You see, I believe that there are people here in this room today, and they could write a check for a million dollars. In fact, there are probably people in this room that could actually write a check for seven million dollars. And if you want to do that, come see me. <laughs> But what's more amazing than one person saying, I'm going to be for the love, is every one of us doing it. Every single one of us saying, I am going to do whatever God calls me to do. I'm going to sacrifice and I am going to step in and I am going to say, I am for the love of God in this world. I think some of you, you're going to enter into this movement of generosity for the very first time in your life. Some of you, you've, you've never given before, and you're going to give for the very first time, and it's going to be exhilarating for you. It's going to be exhilarating for you because moving from nothing to something is huge. That is a huge transformational step. I had a moment this week where a member of our accounting team came and he said, hey, I just want you to see this, this quick email. And he said, this guy, he went online this last week and he went to IamForTheLove.com and he, and he filled out his commitment card already. He said he didn't want to wait to Commitment Sunday on October 4th. And he said, I'm giving for the very first time because I want to be counted among those that are saying, I am for the love. He said, I've never given in my life. And I want to be a part of being a person that says, I am for the love. And there are some of you, you're going to give for the very first time and you are going to experience the exhilaration that comes from aligning your life and aligning what God has given to you with his mission in the world. Some of you, some of you, you give occasionally and you have experienced the joy that comes from giving, but your giving hasn't been consistent. And you get this sense and you get this feeling that what God is going to call you into is to actually become consistent with your giving. 
to say, I'm going to move out of the land of occasional, and I'm going to move into the land of consistency because God has always been consistent with me. And so I'm going to mark this moment, and I'm going to become a consistent giver in my life. Some of you, you're going to move into actually saying, I'm going to become a percentage giver. I'm going to take a percentage every single month, and I'm going to say, God, you have been faithful to give to me, and every single month I'm going to be faithful to give this percentage back to you, no matter what happens in my life. I'm going to be faithful to give. And one of the things that I love about our church and and I love about who we are is our our stewardship team said, we want to help anyone that's interested in giving and and, and isn't sure how to do it. And so next Saturday, they're they're putting together a, a for the love budgeting experience so that Anyone that's trying to figure out, I want to be a part of this. I want to be a part of of building this ministry transformation center, but I don't know how. We've put together this experience for you to help you take a step in growing in generosity. And so there are many of you that are going to give for the first time. Some of you are going to move out of being occasional givers and you're going to become percentage givers. And others of you, you've been giving a percentage, but God is going to call you into a deeper step of generosity unlike ever before. And you're going to step into what it looks like to actually give sacrificially. And simultaneously, my hunch is you're going to feel both a little bit of faith and a whole lot of fear. And the reason that I know that is because I have also experienced that exact same feeling. You see, I've obviously been in on this whole for the love thing um, for a while now sat in a lot of meetings with, with builders and with architects, sat in meetings with elders and with stewardship team members and staff members. And as we continued to move forward and continued to, to realize and to recognize that it was going to take $7 million to build this transformation ministry center, I didn't feel any fear around what God was going to call Jared and I to give. I, I actually felt excited, and I felt like he was inviting us into a, an opportunity to express our faith in a new way. But I want to be really honest with you. I felt unbelievable fear about leading our church through this. I felt unbelievable fear about inviting all of you into this. And last March, um, when we were uh, first realizing and recognizing that it was going to cost $7 million, and I kind of sat with $7 million, I just kept sitting with $7 million. I don't, that's a lot of zeros. I don't even know how many zeros that is. That's a lot of zeros. That's a lot of money. Oh my gosh, $7 million. There's no way that I can raise $7 million. There's no way that I know how to get $7 million. There's no way that this is going to happen. And I remember actually going to my small group one Monday morning. In fact, my dear friend Susan is here. She's in my small group with me. And I remember showing up in my small group and just saying, I'm terrified. I'm just straight up terrified. There's no way, there's no way. This church needs to do this. We, we, we can't stay here anymore. I know this is what God is calling us to do, but I don't think I can do it. 
I don't think I'm capable. I don't think I'm smart enough. I, I, don't, I don't know how to raise $7 million. And all I kept seeing and feeling and experiencing was anxiety and fear. And in a moment, a shift took place. Because what I started to realize was that when it came to $7 million, what I was feeling about $7 million was a lie. And the lie was that I was going to have to be the one to raise the money. That it was going to be on my shoulders to do this. That the $7 million was up to me and, and something shifted when I realized, oh, wait, that's God's problem. $7 million isn't my problem, that's God's problem. And last time I checked, he kind of had all the money in the world, so this should be no big deal for him. And this shift took place and I, I started to realize and to recognize that I was, I was writing a story that this was hard, that this was going to be difficult, that I was going to be exhausted and drained at the end of it. And when the lie shifted and I realized, no, this isn't about $7 million. This is about faith. This is about inviting people into an opportunity to trust God in their lives like never before. And a shift took place and I realized, oh my gosh, this isn't up to me. This isn't up to me. And next week we had a stewardship team meeting. And I went into the stewardship team meeting and there's a whiteboard in the room where, where we had our meeting and, and I took the, the um, marker and I wrote across the, the board, I wrote the word hard and big, bold, hard. And I said, I want to confess that the way that I've been looking at this and the way that I've been approaching what God is calling us into is I've been approaching it as if it is hard. And I'm here to tell you today, this word is not allowed in the room anymore. I'm not going to bring it, and none of you are allowed to bring it. And so I raced the word hard, and then I wrote the word fundraising across the whiteboard. I said, also, here's the other thing. I don't really like this word. Because fundraising makes me think of kids selling chocolate bars and, and kids selling popcorn and kids selling me wrapping paper that I never really wanted. And I don't want to invite people into a fundraiser. I want to invite them into a faith raiser. And so from here on out, we're going to drop the D in fundraising. So I went over to the D, I erased the D, and I said, from here on out, we're going to have some fun. Get it? Fun, raising, drop the D. I should have written it out. That when you raise faith in the hearts of people, it should be fun, shouldn't it? When you go on a great faith adventure with God and you say, God, I... I'm going to be willing, I'm going to be willing to be one of those that is counted among that says, I am going to be for your love in this world. My gosh, shouldn't it be fun? Shouldn't it be fun if our faith is being raised in this world? And I just have to believe, what if we were a community of people that were known for what we allocated instead of what we accumulated? What if we were a group of people that said, no, I'm going to, I'm going to allocate my resources to the movement of God in this world instead of being a person known for what they accumulate. And I wonder how the world would be different. I wonder how our city would be different. I wonder, I wonder how your life and my life would be different. And that's what For the Love is all about. That's what we're all about. And this last week, I wrote a letter 
to you, Soul City Church, believing in the church that God has called us to be. And it says this, Soul City, you are a community that is for the love. Your love seems to never give up. You're tenacious and bold and filled with mature courage. Your love, your love is selfless, Soul City. You truly care more for others than for yourself. You love the overlooked, you welcome the forgotten, and you embrace the rejected. You bring healing to a hurting world. Your love is kind. You're humble and gracious. You look for opportunities to extend mercy and encouragement. Your love is wise. You don't force yourself on others. You reveal your love by serving and giving and caring. Your love is bold. You are one courageous community. Your love is filled with faith, Soul City. Nothing seems to stop you from walking on the water. You seem happier in the wind and the waves than safely in the boat. Your love is filled with forgiveness. You don't keep a record of wrongs. You are exploding with grace. Your love is rooted in prayer. You pray fiercely and boldly. Your love is passionate. You sing and you worship as if to shake the heavens. Your love is honest and sincere. Your love is healthy and wholehearted. Your love is uncommon, Soul City. You're not chasing success by the world's standards. Your love is filled with joy. You're fun and, and you laugh and you dance and you delight in your lives. Your love is rooted. You're established and guided by God's word and you are devoted to knowing it. Your love is welcoming those that never thought that they would be at home in a church. They feel at home because of you. Your love is generous. You never stop looking for opportunities to give. Your love is changing the world and your love, Soul City, your love is actually leading people to Jesus. And their lives are being changed. And this is the church that I believe we are. God has not called us to be average friends. He has called us to be audacious and extraordinary as we extend his love in this world. So I want to invite you to stand and I want to pray for you. I want to pray for us as a church. And God, many of us, we came here today because the love that we were just speaking about, God, that's the love that we long to have in our own lives. The kind of love that calls our name and says, son, daughter, your home. Your home, and you are welcome here in my love. And so, God, would you do, would you do the impossible? Would you help us to be this kind of community that says, no matter what, I am willing, I am willing to be for your love in this world. And we pray this in your name. Amen.